Spoken Word, half an hour of poetry and performance, your connection to Melbourne's grassroots poetry scene, the voice of those of us who have nothing but our voices. Welcome to the Spoken Word Show on 3CR Community Radio. My name is Brendan Bonsack. I'm sending this program out today from the land of the Wawandari people of the Kulin Nation near the banks of the Mary Mary want to acknowledge their deep and continuing connection to the lands and waters and pay my respects to elders past, present and into the future. It always will be Aboriginal land. On the 4th of August, the city of Beirut in Lebanon was devastated by an horrific explosion that occurred in a waterside warehouse reportedly caused by the ignition of large quantities of ammonium nitrate. Over 180 deaths have been recorded with thousands of injuries and hundreds of thousands of people made homeless as a result of the blast. On this week's show, we are joined by Lebanese-Australian poet and speaker Farah Khlabaini for her reflections on the incident. Until that moment, I did not know how much I loved you. The melody of your mornings that greet each sabah with Feiruz. The poetry of your fingers that carve arrows from the arms of your cedars. For Gibran's children to burst beyond you, towards the dreams of their dunya. Until that moment, I did not know how much I loved you. My arrow now a boomerang that keeps turning back for you. The pain of your winter pierces its way through my body. Each curved crevice, each dashed dream marks the absence of you. A lifetime of wearing thorn skin. Until that moment, I did not know how much I loved you. I weep that the hands of my own countrymen poisoned you, that we held their hands as they made widows of your weddings, that we watched you bleed on the beds of your butte, your screaming, galloping clouds of anguished orange, the true colour of freedom in this ballad, your bow finally broken, the burnt arrows of your children droop and dendril their dreams around your feet. The tears of their dunya, the tears of their dunya shattered shards along the bones of your back. As your melody gasps in the stubbed night, we finally begin to comprehend what mornings could be without you. A sabah without her son. A Feiruz without her song, a dunya without her sit. Until that moment, I did not know how much I loved you. But now I do, and now I dare to dream you. I dare to read your stories right to left. I dare to break my boomerang. I dare to carve it back into an arrow. I dare to shoot it up towards my blue skies, right back to you. So Feiruz can sing each sabah to Beit dunya 
Beirut. Thank you, Farah, and welcome to the program. Thanks, Brendan. That was written in the wake of the horrific explosion in Beirut recently. Mm. Can you remember what you were doing when you heard the news? Uh, well, the time difference uh, meant that I just woke up to it. Um, so uh, a friend of mine, a dear friend of mine, messaged a, a group chat and said, just so you know, before you look anywhere, this is what's happened. And I knew straight away the fact that she was messaging me that it was bad. Uh, and then when she said the word Beirut, the first thoughts I had were about my uh, uncle and his family who lived there. And I knew that it's hard because there's a time difference. So you're not sure if they're just not messaging because of that or for something worse. So I just messaged him and then I started thinking of everyone else I knew who worked in Beirut or had to go to Beirut every day for different things. So that was the beginning of my morning, which is why I referenced morning in the poem as well. And what's your connection to Lebanon? Well, uh, I was born there. That's where my family's from. I live in the mountains, or I lived in the mountains. Uh, that's my home. That's my country. My grandparents are there, and my older sister now is is there with her family. It's it's my song. I think every single Lebanese person would, would say the same thing. It doesn't matter how long you've been away from Lebanon. It's always part of you. So everything tugs you back. And how did you process that immediate aftermath? I did not look at the footage straight away. From, from the fact that people who hadn't talked to me in four years were contacting me, I knew it was bad. And I did not want to face that yet until I talked to my family because I didn't feel if, if I talked, if I looked at them, then I would be no help to them. So I, I had to hold back on looking. Um, and then, you know, once I checked that everyone was okay and then gave myself a couple of days of just being stunned, I then allowed myself to look. But I did it knowing that I was going to write something that I, I couldn't let myself because it's so painful it is so there's so much pain and and having heard my family the hopelessness that they now complete hopelessness that they have i knew that i had to do it in a way that first of all i looked after myself but also that would give them something out of it that i wasn't adding to the pain that i could do something with it so i forced myself to to watch a lot of really difficult footage and i tried my best to to find footage that was in Arabic, not in English, so I could hear their voice more than the the view that had to be shared or anything else. And so I understood their scream better. I'm not someone, I'm not a prolific writer. It takes me a very long time to write. There's people who I respect and admire who can write every day and find something. But for me, it's, it percolates for so long, you know, and, and, Yet I know, like, if there's a poem that needs to be written, it will speak to me. It will demand that I, I can't do anything else. You know, I have to write. Um, and so I haven't slept properly the last week because it's that creative itch, you know, that, that you need to write this down. You need to be a witness to this. You need to witness it so others can see and, and, and others learn to look, um, not just see, to look and, and be able to sit with the pain uh, to learn to sit with each other's pain is so important. And so that's the moment that I know, okay, 
I, I have no other focus this today than this. I have to do this now. And, and it just comes from there. When I write this stuff, I don't just think of myself. I think of my parents because they went through civil wars, so they've been robbed a lot. Um, and so I, I, I read because it's because of COVID, we're not living together at the moment. So I called my mum and I spoke to her over the phone. Uh, and there's always this like nervous moment where I, when I kind of share it with her and then I wait for her response and she's someone who absorbs things. So I'm just waiting and I'm, you know, really nervous. And then she said, you made me cry, um, you know, and, and this, is, this is really beautiful. And for me, that means the world because I want her to feel that this is her story more than it's just mine because this is a, a very long cycle of pain. Uh, I really, really, really uh, want to create a compassionate world. You know, I want people to, to step outside of themselves sometimes and look and see what's going on and, and be able to hold, <laughs> hold on to themselves while they do it because it can be quite painful. And I find poetry, because you're getting to the emotion, the core, the, the, you know, you're getting to the, to the seed of the apple you know, um, and, and you're getting to bear that fruit to show them at, to strip down humanity to our core and say, look, you know, strip that all back and you can still grow from here. You know, we just need, we actually need to strip down sometimes so we can see the true beauty in, in the world and the true pain. We need to go through those layers. Uh, and I think poetry does it, you know, speaks to the heart in a way that we can't speak to our minds. You know, it, it takes you to the primal nature in us all. And, and th there's nothing more beautiful than someone speaking your words, you know, uh, and, and reflecting, reflecting your story and going, oh, my God, that is me, you know, when you, when you read that. And I think poets do a beautiful job. A sort of emotional history. Yeah. Um, what history do we care about? I think that historian can only do so much. It's the poet that really reflects the people, you know. I've, you know, watched the Titanic movie before and, you know, I've done it like, all these different things. I've read facts about the Titanic, but I did not care about it too much until the moment I went, I don't know why I got curious. And I started looking through the list of the survivors and there was one survivor called the unsinkable Molly. I've forgotten her surname. And then another one, a couple of others were, I, I was shocked. I saw Arabic names and I was like, oh, you know, there's Arab, there were Lebanese people aboard this. So then I started reading it. And so first of all, the unsinkable Molly was truly unsinkable. She was an amazing woman. So I just got a glimpse into a, another world. Um, but then the Lebanese heritage tugged at me too, because it's, it's reflecting my story and the history of Lebanese travel way before my time. So it's interesting when we start looking at the history and the it's it's not the facts that tug at us it's the emotional stories of people themselves and and seeing ourselves in the that makes us you know want to know more or want to change things for the better you mentioned uh, wanting to seek out the news in uh, from local sources have you noticed a difference in the way that western media reports what's going on there, there are a couple of differences. Uh, one is, uh, and I, I've, like I said, I grew up in Lebanon. So the media that we saw, the, the carnage that we saw, even as children, they'd show everything. That doesn't happen here. It's only started maybe recently. They started showing, and obviously social media has changed it a lot. You can't sometimes um, not see it, you know. Um, and so for me, I've grown up always painfully aware of the cost of war. You know, in a way that if you if you shield yourself, you'll never see it, and so decisions then become like superficial. You don't really care 
um, you don't see the impact of decisions that are made here in Australia. So that's in a way a, a painful positive of, of actually seeing everything, although it can be quite traumatizing at the same time. Um, the other thing is that the, the language speaks the pain. You know, it, you're, it's, it's very difficult to translate that. It's very difficult to understand the despair unless it's spoken in its native language, what they say. And, you know, like the simple words like halas, they'll say halas like, and it means enough. But, you know, the way that they say it, I understand it to mean that there is nothing more in Lebanon for them. You know, so it's it's if I hear it in their language, it's that the the intricacy of the pain I can I can feel it, and then as a poet, I can then carry that and and spread it, um, you know, and make it into something bigger. Um, so that moment is is captured. What's your sense of what's going on in Beirut at the moment? Um, Lebanese people are incredible. They're absolutely incredible. Uh, because I live here, I can see comparisons, you know. So if I think of when the fires struck, the bushfires that struck here, if I think of that and, and um, how much government was involved in recovery, me and you didn't do, didn't do anything except give money, right? That's really what we did. Uh, the shelters, like government built them or, you know, was organised locally, accommodation services, things like that. That's what happens here. In Lebanon, people from the north to the south open their homes to them. There's not, everyone has a place to go, you know, they, they've, they've taken care of them where they could. And this is on top of, on top of them, over 50% of them, you know, in poverty, um, people are going hungry and yet people in the mountains were sending their food to them. You know, people were going down to Beirut with their brooms to clean up the streets as the police watched. Police didn't help them. The local authorities didn't help them. They took their brooms, their own brooms, to clean up their city. And that's not even, you know, for some of them, they, they live in the mountains. That's not home. But they went because they saw the pain of their friends and you know, Lebanese um, brothers and sisters, and they went. And they've, they've got so many private organizations that have just completely stepped up because that's what Lebanese people do. So, you know, and, and if you read the news and you'll see how many people, like, Plastic surgeons are doing surgeries for free to get rid of the shards of people's faces. You know, um, nurses, like they're, they're just dedicating so much time to, to help people. You know, all the hospitals are opening up to look after everyone. So this is despite the pain, you know, and they're also protesting against the government at the same time. And the government's attacking them, you know. So it's it's a really difficult situation and... I can understand their hopelessness because this government isn't one that's going to go away easily. What can people here do to help? There are lots of charities and they're all doing, you know, different things, looking after different groups of people. So, of course, you know, um, the best thing to do at the moment is donate um, because then they can disperse it in the way that's going to look after people. The, the best way, especially with COVID right now, that's the best way to, to do things. Um so the, the key things I would go with is, you know, look, have a look around 
look at those links, see what resonates for you. If you think that that's going to be the most impact, you know, I'm not going to tell you what <laughs> or what to donate to, but some of the organizations include, for instance, the Lebanese Red Cross. Um, you know, there's uh, there's Beit Beitak, for instance. Um, you know, there's a couple of charities that not only are looking after older citizens, so people who've you know, now lost their homes in those areas, but also they're, they're doing like housing, they're providing housing. So opening up, like I said, housing to, to people to join as well as, you know, uh, UNICEF and, and Save the Children and, you know, the World Food um, Program. So all of them are also running. So if you donate, that would be so so well received at the moment because like I said, the government's not reliable and it didn't even help its citizens. Beirut is screaming and people are hysterical um, and people are tired you know we went through we had the revolution and, and then we had the forest fires and then we had the pandemic and we had the economic crisis which now our this is a country already reeling from a dire economic crisis where 50 percent of the population live below the poverty line its people are not in a position to cope with this disaster. Lebanon, I, I love you. Even though I, I hardly know you. Beirut, I, I love you. Even though I, I hardly know you. Tripoli, I, I love you. Even though I, I hardly know you. Lebanon, I, I love you. Even though I, I hardly know you. Was once known as the Paris of the Middle East. Now it's bleak calamities every week. Lebanon is the land of my forefathers. I'm from a long line of warriors. We call them martyrs. Lebanon. I don't know you, but I wish I did. I feel connected, even though I never lived in it. Lebanon. We don't know each other much, but every time you hurt, I feel it deep in my gut. Australian, Lebanese, different breed, gotta be me. My Arabic is broken, but the cedar tree lives in me. Lebanon, the beautiful land is blessed, but cursed by political interests at best. Lebanon, Beirut, August 4, a blast ripped through the capital like a world war. I watched the blast near and far every angle. I saw the destruction and the terror and the shambles. I never seen a people strong than the Lebanese, a country at its knees, but the people are straight G's, hostile borders, terrorism and the poor, corruption, economic crisis and the war, protests, coronavirus, businesses shut down, factory blows up in Beirut downtown, damn, but despite all this, I know deep down Lebanon will have bliss, Lebanon, I, I love you, even though I, I hardly know you, Beirut, I, People are resilient, strong and protected Even though we're far away, our souls are connected Lebanon, your struggle is so beautiful Because as usual, your spirit is unmovable You will not surrender to sinister intentions Government greed or political agendas Lebanon, you need peace, not grief If my shoulder didn't leave, I know where I would be there with the people, sharing your struggle Marching in the streets, dodging blocks between the rubble Lebanon, we send prayers from our hearts But that's not enough to mend destructions of the blast
and delay The government won't help so let you not and pay Whether you're Lebanese or you're not, please stand Let's pool our wealth to help the motherland Donate your money and your prayers so we can fight this That's what will help Lebanon through this crisis that is Lebanese Australian artist Just G. Had, as in the letter G, in collaboration with William Alexander, led the song Lebanon I Love You, chosen by Farah, my guest today on 3CR Spoken Word. He used to be part of a, or he is part of a group called The Brotherhood as well. So he's a, a, a Lebanese, um, you know, uh, I think he would call himself a rapper, so um, or a hip hop artist as well, and a hip hop enthusiast. So he's um, Lebanese as well, and he wrote this song uh, with a friend of his uh, to talk about their feelings as Lebanese Australians. And so, what I the reason why I wanted to share it is to show, especially the Australian listeners, the experience of their fellow um, Lebanese Australians and what they might be feeling at the time you know, what they're going through so that they can get a window to it. And and the the, the love, the absolute love that a lot of our um, Lebanese Australians have, even the ones who were born here and, you know, never, never lived there, but they still carry that love. So that's why I wanted to share that uh, song that, that she had uh, wrote because it, it reflects that. It reflects that love of their country and, um, you know, that, that call for help mm-hmm. as well. Mm-hmm we're always t- constantly tugged back. You know, we're constantly, there's, there's this call back to our homeland. Um, you know, the Gibran's poem talks about the longing for life and you're shooting forward to a new future, a new dream. You know, you're going forward, you're not looking back, but the pain, you cannot help but go look back and, and you know, you're constantly wanting to look after it. And you're constantly, if there's something in it that's so pure, there's this, you want to see it succeed. You wish that in your lifetime it can succeed for once, that it's people, you know, you know how beautiful they are. They deserve so much better. You know, I've been listening a lot to a lot of the Arabic singers. I think all my friends are doing the same. All my Arab, even my Arab friends, they're all listening to, because they, they want to hold on to something, you know, we've lost so much already. So it absolutely does make me feel uh, even more connected to, to the country I was born in. My mom said, you know, I want Lebanon to, to get better in my lifetime. I hope that they unify, you know, that the Lebanese people unite um, in my lifetime. But it was said more as a, you know, <laughs> it's, it's unlikely to happen. Um, whereas, you know, I see these moments and go, maybe, <laughs> maybe there's hope. Um, I've taken a very particular path and that is that, and this is actually ref- reflected not just in this poem but in how I approach you know what I write about and and how much I try to look at the human being Um, because I've seen what division does I've seen what a country how it suffocates it in Lebanon we have so many uh, vested interests and political parties and and people are so fearful of each other they're so fearful of each other so I've already chosen my path and I say I don't want a political party I don't belong to any of them. I belong to Lebanon. Are you willing to walk that journey with me? You know, are you? It, that's where our arrows should aim. We shouldn't constantly boomerang back to to the people, the elites who led the civil war. You know, we need to go forward, and and that journey is really scary. Um, we haven't gone to those skies before. We've never had that before. But look how beautiful it is. Look how beautiful and clear that view is. There's no rubble. So I think that that's a lot of my cousins in Lebanon, that's what they want. 
It's just there's a lot of forces that work against it. It's interesting how how little we uh, value youth. You know, in some ways we want to remain young, (laughs) but we don't want to hear the voice of the young, Um, even though they have the most to lose from everything that we do. You know, so uh, I, I have been taking a lot of time to listen uh, to young people much younger than me because I'm I consider myself much older now <laughs> than I was. So, um, you know, I'm, my my life is changing, and with it, like when you get older, you get sucked into the, you know, adulty stuff that that distract you from from you know you, the other priorities take take precedence. You know, you have a family or, you know, you're trying to establish security, whereas the youth are the ones saying, no, we need change. You know, we need to change things. We want that table that you built now. We need to get rid of it. Like, you know, let's get a new table in place and, and build on that. Um, so so it's, it's always unsettling when, when people are doing that around us. But even what we need to learn to do is even though they might not say it in the words that we, we, we might like, but what is the heart of what they're saying? And, and that's what we need to become better at, you know, is, is listening to the hearts of each other and, and, and having that conversation. There's a TEDx talk in which you talk about young people and social media. Mm. And you say that uh, loneliness is one of our biggest killers. Is this the other pandemic that we face? Absolutely. Um, we, we learn, people are at their loneliest at their young, when they're younger. And when then they're older, those are the groups that are actually the most lonely, um, and that's that's actually research based. That I'm I'm saying that, and their loneliness is in, in in different facets. But I think it's because they're also searching for their identity. They're trying to figure out who they are, and and you know it's it's not an easy thing. Like even if you have the most supportive parents or whatever, you're you're still trying to figure out who you are while the world is telling you what to do at every point. And so it, it can create a lot of isolation and social media, of course, creates its own expectations. And, you know, you're, you're trying to be something at all times, all times you have to be connected, all times you have to be on, or all times you have to be funny, or all times you have to look good. You know, there's no break from that. So uh, how can you then be you? You know, how can you then be enjoy your own company? And, and that creates its own loneliness because, the, we're not sharing for joy, you know. We're sharing for, you know, ratings. Um, and that takes the joy out of it completely. So uh, I, I feel like I feel for younger people who don't get to experience some of the, you know, um, quiet. Have you noticed since the COVID restrictions and not being able to go out to events that um, this has affected your sense of well-being? I, well, I, as you know, Brendan, I have a health uh, issue. So for me, uh, I've had to stay at home a lot, um, <laughs> which in a way, so I feel like I've, I've had the, um, you know, prep work done for, for lockdown mm-hmm. <laughs> compared to other people. I've had to uh, think about like how to make the most of even making a cup of tea or whatever it is that I need to do. So in some ways, um, but it has made it very difficult, like with poetry. I love poetry. I love listening and sharing, but I've been so overwhelmed with my own emotions and everything that's been going that it's difficult then to listen or absorb or and and having it like on a internet, like it's not the same feeling, you know. You, you want to feel the warmth and the crowd and, and the, you know, the, 
the clinks off the glass around you, you know, like people cuddling up and, and listening, you know, and, and just hanging off your every word, you know, when you're seeing someone perform, it's really beautiful. And I, I really miss, for instance, Girls on Key. Um, I miss the crepes that were around, like, you know, you'd, you'd order it and the, the beautiful lighting and just the warm crowds that, that came there every, every mm. time. Um, it's, it's a family, you know, like we're all mm. family then when we go as poets to these events and we know we recognise each other and we share uh, and, and we tell each other how much what we do is beautiful. So it is missed. It's not the same. Um, but I'm looking forward to when it goes back and we can do that again. Are, are there things that you do to try and keep in touch with people? Um, like I, I just I just try, you know, I've even mailed someone recently or, you know, um, I try to organise game nights online like Zoom is the god now for everyone, you know. <laughs> Everyone's on Zoom and there's all these really cool functions that people don't know about on Zoom. So, um, you know, like and and. The other thing that I've been doing uh, is I organize monthly conversations for the community. So each month I'll organize like a Zoom session. Everyone can come and we talk about something um, that affects them. But then we have a lot of fun and we share music and poetry and things like that. So it's it's little things like you can do a lot of lot of fun things and, and not let this completely overwhelm you. You know, staying connected is very, very important. And what's the next moving conversations topic? So it will be about anxiety. <laughs> so I'm sure that um, a lot of people will, will want to come to that. And uh, so it will be on, I think, the 1st of September from memory. That will be the, yeah, the 1st of September on mm -hmm. a Tuesday night. And we will be having like, it's, we'll talk about anxiety. Everyone will share their experiences, but we'll also have fun. Like, I know it sounds weird, but I, I always believe in, in making these spaces like, getting used to the idea of even though things can suck you can still smile at the end of it you know and that's what we'll do we'll still get you to smile at the end of it um and there will be definitely music and you know sharing so i hope that people can make it <laughs> how do people uh, find the link yep so all you need to do is go on um the center for building better community um so their facebook page and we put our events there uh, you could also search for moving conversations anxiety um, and you'll find the link to the to the event and and they're free events aren't they yes they are they are free i think the one that you had on the eve of the explosion was about grief <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah that was um but you know what it actually was a really good night it, we had people coming and, and asking me at the last second, please, can I come? Um, you know, it was booked out. And what was really good about it is we talked about, first of all, everyone shared their own experiences with grief. And, you know, we had, you know, intimate sessions as well, people talking about it. But we also had, uh, so another poet in Melbourne, uh, Gabriella Georges, she came and she performed a poem um, about, uh, it's called Mama's Lentil Soup. And then she shared about you know, all the different grief events that are happening. We also had someone, uh, Eugene Wong, who's worked with people uh, in their final moments before they pass away and helped them write their biographies. And so he was talking about the experience of grief, like the grief for those people, what they feel grief is like. And that was a, it was really nice to see how people were feeling at that moment in their lives versus how people often feel at the final moment in their lives. 
you know. And so that's what we're trying to do with these conversations is open up uh, people's experiences so that they, first of all, don't feel alone. And second of all, they go, oh, you know, maybe my experience isn't as bad or, wow, someone else's experience is just like mine, you know, and, and that helps us in terms of not feeling so alone. Well, thank you so much for being on the show today, Farah. Thank you for having me, Brendan. That's okay. Do you want to share one last poem with us? Uh, sure. Um, I think considering that we've talked about a lot of heavy things, I, I do like to leave people with something that they can feel calm. So this one is called Under the Grave of Rivers. I wish I could be there with you just to share some tea. I'm not sure if you'd prefer chamomile or lemon and ginger. Either way, something warm to lighten your heavy waters, soaked and glistening with a gentle kindness and honeyed sweetness, to make you feel, even for a few moments, the stillness of its calm syllables against your throat to wash away with love the bitterness of your sorrow. Many may wish you freedom, choosing the bird and its skies as their motive. But I do not. Even the bird knows it is foolish to nest its future in the abstract, the uneven. For what is a bird? in a world that howls and flings its discomforts mercilessly, indiscriminately. How do our flailing feathers survive its unsettling winds and not be plucked into its loneliness without strong roots to anchor us into the folding of our earth where all begins and ends? No. I wish you a deep place within yourself where you are as firm in your steadiness and grace as the banyan tree. Leaves broad-shouldered and thick-skinned to weather the fullness and futility of our seasons. Allow the love to soak in the sun that unswervingly filters into your life. Anchor yourself within it. Roam within it. We all have our demons that throw darts at hope wherever it dangles. Tar that molds itself hard heavy in words like should, could, if, not. These words remind us of how easy it is to fall prey to the fragility of self, as if we were a mere flick of a chef's wrist as she bruises open our yellowed yoke. But we are more than ourselves. We are the light that fractures across the horizon, that guides others and ourselves into the night, reflecting all that we touch and see. So do not fear the light. Let the stars into your night. Let them in, though your palms are too puffed from cupping away your tears to soak their warmth. Your tea awaits. Its elbow longs for the softness of your curled fingers. 
its whispering rims the caress of your praying lips. You or whatever you is present today are enough. The beautiful words of Farah Habaini there, our guest today on 3CR Spoken Word. To join her next Moving Conversations talk on the 1st of September, head to the Centre for Building Better Community website, www.community.how, and sign up there. There are many organisations calling for financial support right now to assist the people of Beirut. The Lebanese Red Cross is taking donations online at www.supportlrc.app. And we'll put links to some of the others on our webpage at 3cr.org.au forward slash spoken dash word. Please help where you can. This has been the Spoken Word Show. I am Brendan Bonsack. Thank you for listening.